All right. Open up your Bibles to Galatians 5, verse 16. We could take our entire morning on one verse. And I have bitten off way more than we can chew here today. But we're going to see what we get through and see how it works out. And so, um, this passage is just chock full of just teachable moments and great passages. And so, what we're going to do is, I'm going to read it from the New American Standard first. That is something that many of you probably already have. But then I want to read it from the Amplified Version as well. Because, it, it, as you might be aware, the Amplified Version of the Bible is one that adds more words into it. It's, it's more of, it's, it is opening up the meaning of the Greek and the passage. And so it often just opens up my eyes and helps me to understand the passage better. So let's read. Um, we're going to be in 5, verse 16 through 26. I'll read it from the New American Standard, then we'll read it from the Amplified, all right? But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets out its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. All right? Now then... um, if you're using, you know, your device, and you can find the amplified version on your device, you can read along with me. Um, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. And then you'll certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, that godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to one another, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free but are prevented from doing as you desire. But if you are guided, led by the Holy Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Verse 19. Now the doings, the practices of the flesh, are clear and obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, being ill-tempered, selfish, divisions, dissensions, party spirit, the factions, sex, and peculiar opinions and heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warned you beforehand, just as just I warned you beforehand, just as I done previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work which he, his presence within accomplishes, is love, joy, that is gladness, peace, patience, this, that even-tempered forbearance, kindness, goodness, which is benevolence, faithfulness, 
a gentleness, which is meekness and humility, self-control, which results in self-restraint and continence. And against such things, there is no law that, can bring, that one can bring a charge. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, the Messiah, have crucified the flesh, the godless human nature, with its passions, its appetites and desires. If we live by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit, be, if the Holy Spirit we have, we fill in our, we, our life in God, let us go forward walking in line, our conduct controlled by Him. And let us, and let us not become vainglorious and self-conceited, competitive and challenging and provoking and irritating to one another, envying and being jealous of one another. Hmm. Very good. Now, If I sing this tune, what does it remind you of? All right? Pop goes the weasel. But that's a jack in the box, exactly. Charles Swindoll speaks about this passage, saying about this passage. He says this passage addresses the jack in the box nature to our flesh. In the sense that the jack in the box has a lid on it, but. Anytime you turn that crank, that lid pops off and the jack-in-the-box comes out. And so he speaks about this and he says that, Swindoll says that our sin nature is just the same way. It is always eager and wanting and coiled. It is prepared to spring out when given the opportunity. Our passage today is talking about how we limit that opportunity. How we keep the lid on the jack and keep him in the box. As opposed to letting him... Spring out all the time. And, and Paul immediately addresses that. Matter of fact, we could even rewrite verses, verse 16, and he says this. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and Jack will stay in the box. That's exactly what he could say. Walk in the Spirit, and Jack will stay in the box. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, wouldn't it be beautiful if it was just that simple? This passage today is going to help us to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit, how to control that flesh. And he, and he really, he does say, it's just, he just says, walk in the Spirit. That's his answer. But Paul, being the master teacher that he is, he doesn't leave it at that. He expands upon that and he helps us understand the, what that would mean. And what he does with this is he does what good teachers do is he says, now this is what it doesn't look like and this is what it does look like. When you're in the flesh, it looks like this. When you're not in the flesh, it looks like that. When you're in the flesh, this is what you're going to see. When you're in the spirit, this is what you're going to see. And so this is what he does with the passage. Verse 16, he just says, walk in the spirit and you won't walk in the flesh. Paul is, is discussing two opposing things in the entire passage. And take note of how many things about this passage are um, comparative in nature. So let me just, let's just to look at some few things in this passage. Verse 15, verse 18, verse 22, all begin with what word in your Bible? Depending on your translation, some of you are going to have the wrong answer. But that's okay, we still like you. What's the first word in those three verses? But, but, but. And he puts the word in there because what he's doing immediately is he's saying, there's a contrast here, there's a comparison here. I'm drawing your attention to the next thing I'm saying. But you have to understand what he just said to be able to draw out and to have that fuller understanding. And three times here he says, but. 
He says, but I say, walk in the Spirit. He says it again in verse 16, but you are led by the Spirit. And then he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. And each time before that, he's talked about what being out of the Spirit is, what it's like to walk apart from the Spirit. And in, in, the, in verse 16, what has just happened is he said, now then, you're free. But don't use your freedom for sin. And his answer to that, of not living our freedom, to, uh, living, using our freedom towards sin, is to walk in the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, he just talks about, but the flesh sets it, in verse 17, he says, but the flesh desires against the Spirit. These two things are fighting, but you should be led by the Spirit. Verse 22, he's just unpacked all the things that living in the flesh looks like. And then he says, that's what the flesh looks like, but this is what the Spirit looks like. So, that's going to happen throughout this passage. matter of fact, there are several kind of comparative things we can do with the passage to help us understand it better. Um, So, first of all, we need to define some things and answer some questions. At least that's how I am when I'm looking at Scripture. I need to understand. He says, walk by the Spirit. I need to know what that means. He says, don't live by the flesh. What's the flesh? I need to know what that means. He says two things in this passage that demands my attention, and I can't get past them without getting some kind of answer from them. One of them is in verse 21, where he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Why aren't they going to inherit the kingdom of God? Where are they going to be instead? Am I in that group? Who's in that group? I need to answer that question for myself to understand the whole passage. And then also, the other one is in verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, what does that mean? Why are you saying that, Paul? What are we talking about? Why I'm not under the law if I'm not under the Spirit? Does that mean, you know, so those are just things for me that when I come through the passage, I have to answer. They get in my way of the whole passage. And so as you read the passage, you have the same kind of things. And it might be like, well, what does this word mean? How does he use it? Why is he using it here? That's what Bible study is about. And that's why we do on Tuesdays when we come together is we say what words are talking to us, what patterns do we see, what things are sticking out, what helps us understand the passage better. These are the kind of things that I addressed when I was trying to work through the passage, and I hope they're helpful to you. So first of all, let's talk about walking in the Spirit. Many of the readers had obviously succumbed to the teaching of the Judaizers. Who, what had happened is the Galatians had come to a place where they had understood Christ, had died for their sins. They understood that it was totally by faith that they came into a saving relationship by him, with him and had their sins taken care of. They were justified by him. They understood that. But then these people came in and began to teach something different and said, okay, that's fine. You can believe that, and you can understand that, and you can say that, but let me just tell you something else. And that something else is this, that you have to do some stuff to follow Christ. And so he names, throughout the book, he names, you know, observing certain holidays. He names, he talks about eating certain foods. And the big one that he's talking about is circumcision, which is such a giant identifying issue for the Jews and Israelites. And, and so those three things are the things that get brought up in the context of this passage. And he says, so this is what these people were teaching to the, to the Galatians. And now Paul's like going, they're saying walk and do. And he says, walk. Walk. Walk in the Spirit. 
Walk in the Spirit. That's all he's telling them to do. Walk in the Spirit. Summarizing this, he said, you were saved by faith and you believed in Christ and his death to give you a new spiritual birth. Now you have to live this new spiritual life in the same way you got it, by faith. So the Holy Spirit regenerated it inside of you. The Holy Spirit took a dead person, which is what any one of us are, which is what all of us are. Apart from Christ, apart from that time and that episode and that day when we understood who Christ was and then he died for us and we said, I want his death for me. In that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and it takes our deadness inside of us because it says we are dead apart from Christ and it regenerates us. It it, it makes us alive, spiritually alive for the very first time. And so he says, you were saved that way. The Spirit made you alive for the very first time. Now, continue to live by that same Spirit. Continue to live by that same Spirit. It would be akin to, it would be akin to like, uh, you know, we, I mean, we could use Missy as an, as an example, but anybody who's ever had an injury where they had to learn to walk again. In the beginning... They used a walker. They used a cane. They had some kind of device that assisted them in learning to walk. And when they had learned to walk, they should set aside that assisted device and walk on their own. He's saying here, you were saved by the Spirit. That's what got you where you are. Set aside what you you thought was saving you. Set aside that doing and now... Walk, and, you know, walk free of all that. In other words, walk in the Spirit. Just walk. Follow me. Rely upon me. Don't feel like you have to do things to please God, to earn His favor, to keep yourself saved. That's unnecessary. And that's what He's just, that's, that's just the simple gist of it. To walk by the Spirit means to depend upon Him. If you are doing the experiencing God right now, or if you're about to do it, you're going to find this particular theme throughout the study. That he is asking you to daily, to momentarily depend upon him in that moment. Depend upon him in that moment. So when he talks about walking by the Spirit, he's talking about to consciously depend upon him in that moment. We, de- we depend on him to resist temptation. We ask him for insight into his word. Rely on Him for the right attitude in the midst of our trials. We seek Him for wisdom in difficult decisions. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, consider this. There are many, many ways to get from point A to point B. Perhaps it is, you can use a paper map. We still have those. You unfold them. You can never fold them back, but you can unfold them. And you can get from point A to point B from that map. You can use a GPS device if you can figure out how to tell it where you are and where you want to be. A GPS device would tell you. Unless by, unless by accident that you were on Route 202, the new 202 bypass, and the GPS doesn't have it yet, and it's an open field they say you're in, then they can't help you anymore either. That recently happened to me. <laughs> but the GPS device would tell you, and you can choose the voice that it's going to use to tell you. You can have someone give you specific directions. You're going to go to the third light. You're going to turn left. You're going to go to the big red barn and turn right. Then you're going to see a well, and at that well, you need to turn left again and go 100 yards, and you're there. 
You can do that as well. You can do it from memory. I don't know how to tell you how to get there, but I've been there lots of times, and, you know, and this is how I got there. You know? But you can be the typical male, and you cannot ever ask of all and never get there. <laughs> Paul is saying that the way that you live life is by the Spirit. You get where you're going like you're using a GPS that says, right now, Tim, this is what I want you to do. That guy that just flipped you off on 95, I want you just to walk away from that. That lady that just dropped that stuff over there, I want you to go over and help them. This Saturday morning, I know you feel like you're busy, but I really want you to go and hand out literature at a mutter table. And you don't ever know why he's directing you, but when he's directing you, and after you've obeyed, You find him to be faithful. You find him to be true. You find that his direction is never wrong. He always knows where he's leading you. He has a purpose and a plan for leading you that way. And that's what he's speaking to when he says, walk by the Spirit. In each and every moment, listen to him. Follow him. Obey him. Ask him. You know, Inquire of him. What about this? I'm confused. I don't know what to do. This week, in my quiet time, um, uh, in, in re- doing the Experiencing God book, I, I was, I just, it was just a long week, and I'd been doing a study every day, and one of the studies was like, you know, God should be real, personal, and practical to you. And so I got to, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and I'm like going, I need a very real, practical, personal God right now. And I went to bed feeling that way. I woke up the next morning early feeling that way. Anxious, thinking about stuff that I didn't think was going well. And I went out and got my books out and stuff, and I sat down and I just said, I just really, you've got to come through right now. This is not the way that life is supposed to be led by you. This is not the way it's supposed to look. And I need to hear from you in this moment. Call my heart. I said, 1 Peter 5, 7 has to be true. I'm casting all my cares upon you. Here they are. This is what I'm anxious about. And I gave you my list. And then I said, okay, and then there's, you wrote about Philippians. You said that you give perfect peace. You didn't say you'd take it away, but you said you'd give perfect peace. I'm looking for this from you. I need real, personal, practical. And then I thought, all right. And I did one of those things that I don't usually tell people to do, but I did it, you know. And I just said, okay, where? I don't know if God advises that, but I did it. And um, when I did that, my finger ended in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort others with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. I keep reading. And I came to chapter 2. 
brief. I can't read. <laughs> Who is adequate for these things? And Paul asks the question and he answers it later. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Real, personal, practical in that moment. Listening to him, asking him, and having him respond in that moment. You know, I can't say that every single day was like that this week. Usually they're not, I'll confess. But in that moment, that's what I think it looks like to walk by the Spirit. I would love to say that that happens to me every day, all day. It doesn't. But that day, it did. That day, I sought Him. And He was there, as He says He always is. As He says He always is. The metaphor of walking merely consists of two simple steps repeated over and over again. And thus Paul is not commanding a complicated exercise, but a necessary thing in order to be able to resist the pull from the flesh and toward legalism or sin. It's interesting, isn't it? I really do think that we make Christianity so darn complicated. I mean, and I'll be the first to admit I do it. But he says walk. And after you learn how to walk, walking is pretty easy to do. It's just putting one step in front of the other. You might be pigeon-toed. You might limp. There's a lot of things you might do when you walk, but you walk. And it is a simple step of putting one step in front of the other, of seeking Him in that moment and learning how to do it. We all learned how to walk. We can learn how to walk in the Spirit as well. We can learn how to walk in the Spirit as well. But it takes concentrated effort. How many times do we fall as little ones? when we're learning how to walk. Numerous times. And sometimes we fall on the cushion pad that was intended to fall on, and other times we fall forward and we get nicked up and bashed up and bruised up, and we cry and we bleed and we scream and we go to the ER, and we come back and we start all over again. And I don't think it's too dissimilar for walking in the Spirit, that there are times when we do it well and there's times when we don't do it well, but we continue to try it until we learn what it looks like. until we learn what it looks like, until we learn what it feels like to walk in the Spirit. To know when we're depending upon ourselves and we're pushing ahead of God and we're saying, I'll do this, I've got this, I've got this covered, I'm okay. And then we find out that we're not. And we go, oh yeah, that's what that looked like last time. Let me learn to, let me start over again in this issue and I'll follow you. I'll listen. I'll walk with you in this. I'll walk in the Spirit this time. The thing is, and that's what we've talked about in grace, is that we can never mess up too much when he says, I'm done with you. I'm tired of watching you do this. You are unteachable. Now, I've said that. I've felt that way about myself. I've felt that way about some of you. But he never has. But he never has. He loves us in such a way that we are never unteachable. That he has a grace and a forgiveness and a short memory and a great well of compassion that says, I'm okay with you messing up one more time. Remember, I'm God. You can't mess up this situation too much. I have it under control. I'm sovereign. Let's start over again. Now, this is what I want you to do. 
and we walk. We listen. We obey. That's what walking in the Spirit looks like. There are numerous things that people say you should do to walk in the Spirit. One that I really liked was depend, to depend, to submit, and to obey. There's others that are like five steps long. All those things are good. If you want them, I can, I can share them with you. But I think the gist of it is just like, like acknowledging Him, asking Him, listening to Him, obeying Him. It's what we do with each other. What do you want for lunch today? Cheeseburger, no pickles, lettuce, and tomato. Well, we don't go to... We don't go to a Whopper store and say, I want a cheeseburger with lettuce, onions, tomatoes, extra butter, extra you know, bacon, cheese, and everything else. We do what was asked of us. And that's what following the Spirit is like. Just what does He ask of us? Because if we stop and if we listen, He speaks to us about it. He'll tell us. He is faithful and true. If he finds someone who is faithful and listening. He'll speak to us. All right. Let's talk about the flesh real quick. Another thing we need to know about. The flesh and the way that Paul is using it is as defined, I'm reading you a definition, is that ugly complex of human sinful desires with ungodly motives, affections, words, actions that is generated inside of us. It is incapable, the flesh is incapable of knowing God apart from a special revelation and the redemption that removes all that from us. To live according to the flesh is to be ruled and controlled by that evil complex. All of our, all of our, our passions, our desires, all of that D.L. Moody said that my real battle is not with the people around me, it's with the passions within me. And I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than I do with anyone else. The flesh is all of our selfishness. Every bit of it. The flesh is our selfishness. Our desire to be in front. Our desire to be on top. Our desire to be first. To have my needs met before your needs. That is our flesh right there. That is our flesh. And, and, and Paul begins to unpack some of these things. First of all, he says that those who practice them, you'll see that. He says, those, uh, now the deeds of the flesh are, uh, where are we at, where are we at? Practice. He says, those who practice them, they are people who continually, habitually, seeking opportunity for, That's what those who practice them are. Verse 21. Those who practice such things. That's what he's talking about. Those who practice... So any of these things he's talking about, these are things that are normal about you. Normal about you. Let's look at a couple of those real quick. He, he speaks about immorality, impurity, and sensuality. You know, everybody has, has these things grouped in a certain way. And I... I I can understand some of those things. I don't understand all of them. But immorality, impurity, and sensuality, all right there are obviously sexual and sensual 
and there are about ourselves. That's going to be something that's common about every single one of these deeds. Is they are all about us. And you know, I know something. Notice that in, in verse 19 it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, they are plain to see. They are clearly seen. They're, they're in plain view. They're not easily hidden. And these are deeds that we do. Notice in verse 27, 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit... Here's another distinction, another contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. The flesh is stuff we do. The fruit is something that God does in us. God does in us. And so he begins to talk about these things, the deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality. Immorality is any illicit, any wrong sexual activity outside of what, how God has set it up. God has set up sexual activity happen within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Anything that happens outside of that would be fall into this category of immorality. This past Tuesday, at an international forum, Vice President Joe Biden declared to international leaders from around the world that protecting gay rights is a defining mark of a civilized nation and must trump national cultures and social traditions. I want you to hear that again. Protecting gay rights is a defining mark of a civilized nation and must trump national cultures and social traditions. He is wrong. And I'm sorry if you don't agree with that. You don't disagree with me. You disagree with the Bible. It is not the mark of a civilized nation. It is the mark of a nation in demise. It is the mark of a nation that has given up on what is right and good and chosen to follow a path that will lead to its destruction. It is the mark of immorality, and God says it's sin. We'll stop there. In the context of the Greek and how Paul is using the word pornea, which is what this is, it is not limited to adultery, premarital sex. It, is, it, is, it expands to adultery, Sex outside of marriage. It expands to sex before marriage. It expands to homosexuality, bestiality, incest, prostitution. Anything that is outside of the context of marriage is immorality. He says it's wrong and it's, and it's sinful. Going on to impurity. It's a broader term, and it's referring, it's referring to moral uncleanness. Impurity is made up of two Greek words. One says cleanness, and the other one says a. So in other words, it's not being clean. Impurity is not being clean. It's a broader term. It means that it's the uncleanness in thought, in word, and in deed. It describes a state of moral impurity, especially sexual sin. It is often used as a term that describes a person being unfit, Impure, unclean, and therefore not able to approach God. Sensuality. Originally referred to in any excess or lack of restraint. But it became to convey the idea of shameless excess in the absence of restraint, especially with sexual excess. The Greeks used this term as a disposition of soul that resents all discipline. Did you hear that? The Greeks used this exact term, and they were pretty immoral, sensual people, but they use this term to describe a soul that resents discipline. 
A spirit that acknowledges no restraints and dares whatever it wants to do or desires to do. You see that anywhere and everywhere in our culture, and you did it their, their culture too. Just a quick comment about that. People think that our culture is really, really terrible and that it's never seen anything like this before, but Paul is writing from a culture that was already experiencing all this stuff that we are going into now. And so, as, and so I'm, you know, everyone says, you see it all the time, we're terrible. Man has been terrible from the beginning. And God has written about it time and again. And so nothing of this is new. This is not the first time that people have argued about gayness or abortion or anything else like that. But he knows our hearts and he knows that's where we go to when it's left unchecked. Idolatry. It speaks of extreme admiration or reverence for something other than God. And so that can be all kinds of stuff. We've talked about that before. It can be our jobs. It can be even our children. Anything that we revere more than God, anything that takes a preference over God, anything that comes first before Him is an idol. It doesn't have to be a little tiki doll. It doesn't have to be a little fat Buddha. It doesn't have to be a tree that you said has spirits to it. It doesn't have to be a, a stack of rocks. Anything at all. And usually, the thing that comes before God that idol that is most prominent, the one that every single person in this room struggles with, I can guarantee it. Let me be a prophet right now. I can guarantee it is us. The most prevalent idol is ourselves. Our comfort, our desires, our wants. We put those before the Lord all the time. He speaks of sorcery here, which is something that is kind of really kind of unusual for us. We don't, it's not something that we're, that is, it's different for us thinking about it. It's not something that is, is prevalent in our culture, but he defines it as something as, that is one who prepares or uses magical remedies. It comes from the word pharmacon, so it has a lot to do with drugs and spell-giving potions that were used in, even in medicinal drugs. And so it had to do with witchcraft or sorcerers who would use uh, 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 substances to put spells on and to foresee the future and everything. Now, all of those right there have to do with, like, we see them, some of them are sexual, these other two are more spiritual in the nature, but then we come to these next eight, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. All of these I see as, as relational. All of them have to do with conflict, choosing teams or allies to oppose one another and arguing. Jealousy and evening are things that I want things or I want people or I want attention or I want power that others might have that you want for yourself. All of these are the epitome of flesh. Because what they're saying is that I have, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in a disagreement with you because I want what I want and you're in my way. And so that's when I begin to say, you know, have you ever thought about so-and-so? And you begin to set up sex. Churches are famous for this. But mankind is really famous for this too. But it's especially disappointing when churches are that way. When you begin to set up groups and you say, you know, I don't really like the, the color of the carpet, and I think that we should have a blue, car- a, blue, a blue carpet fellowship. And we will begin to meet and discuss the value of blue carpet while all those others can be over there. It happens a lot in heresy. And this church experienced this probably 30 years ago now. 
where someone came in and began to teach and says, God can speak to you directly and individually and tell you what he wants other people to know. And that group began to meet in a small group by themselves and began to talk about how God was talking to them directly and the messages they were supposed to take and give to the rest of the people in the church. And they began to siphon off to themselves. And it wasn't necessarily a disputing, it wasn't necessarily an argumentative thing, but they definitely set themselves apart and put them a distance between each other. They were not as holy as we were. And it came out very ugly. And it was one of those episodes where people left because of how, because of it needed to be dealt with. And that's what happens when people begin to divide, begin to separate, begin to say, there's an us and there's a them. It never ends well. It's always ugly. And it's nearly always painful. But it always has to do with me. It always has to do with us. And then finally he comes down to two other things, carousing and, and, and drunkenness, which are just absolute lack of self-control. The word for drunkenness means continually drunk. And then, and then what comes with being continually drunk and having no self-control is the carousing. And then he ends this little list by kind of saying, and this is not all I could talk about. This is not all I could talk about. Things like these, he says. Well, I've said often that I don't want to be a Christian that is known by what I'm against. I don't want to be a Christian that is known, has a, a bumper stickers and says, I, I, you know, I hate abortion, I hate gays, I hate this, I hate that, I hate this, I hate that. I don't want to have that list. I want to be a person, and I want us to be a church that says, we love others. We extend grace because grace was extended to us. I want to be a church and a person who is known for what I am for, not what I'm against. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're going to step into a spiritual realm, there are places where we have to go and have to say, these are the things that God is against, and therefore I have to be against them too. And so this morning, Paul is talking about these deeds of the flesh, and he's comparing it to the the fruit of the Spirit. And what I'd like to say is that for me, when I look at myself and I take account of myself, this is an analytical, this is an examination. So if you go to the doctor, they put this thing in your mouth, they look at your tonsils, they take your blood pressure, they check your heart, they do certain things to see if you're healthy. We can take Galatians 5 and we can say, how spiritually healthy am I? Can I say that I, if, I were to, if we were to have the deeds of the flesh on this column and the fruit of the spirit on this column, where are my check marks at? Which side of the column do they fall on? Do I find that I have more in common with the deeds of the flesh or that I have more in common with the fruit of the Spirit? It's an examination that you can do. And the outcome of it is this. Is that if I find that I am struggling with anger, which is one of my issues, that I know that I'm not walking in the Spirit. And I need to continue that. And I need to continue to repent, to seek forgiveness, to confess, to walk more with Him. This morning, for you, 
What is your spiritual temperature? What is your spiritual blood pressure? Where do you find yourself on this checklist of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? Praise God that when I find myself, as I often do, more on the flesh side, that 1 John 1, 9 says that I can confess, He forgives, and He starts over with me. And you can do that as well. Confess, He forgives, and we can pick up again and begin to seek to walk in the Spirit like He's talking to us about today. Let's pray. Father, this morning we um, thank you for how you do long to walk with us. You do long to lead us. That you are so faithful to us in our failures to follow and to walk with you. You're so faithful to lead us when we are willing to listen and we stand by you. Father, help us to do that self-examination. Help us to honestly look to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us our areas where we are falling in any of these areas of the flesh and to convict our hearts to us and to help us to see the darkness of that and the damage of that to our relationship and to the relationships of others. And woo us with your love, with your patience, with your long-suffering to walk in the Spirit with you to seek you in each and every moment, and then to begin to find that fruit be in our life, not because of what we do, because of what you do in us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.